Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Happy New Year and welcome back. It's a new year, new chances, new opportunities, new goals. And if one of your goals is to buy a house, then you're in the right spot. Uh, this is where we discuss everything with regards to housing, real estate, mortgage, all of that good stuff. And with me, I have Mr. Josh Lewis. We're not sure if Josh's mic is working or not, so we're going to test this for the first time right now. Josh, you here? Is he not paying attention to us? Is he frozen? That is the question. I don't know. He looks frozen. So anyway, um, welcome back, guys. Uh, we missed last week. Uh, I was up in the mountains changing cabins. Weird situation going on up there. I had a place with no heat. So last minute had to change things around. And so we weren't able to get on the episode. But we're here basically back to uh, to update you guys on what's going on in the market now. Talk about you know what's what's coming out tomorrow, which is inflation data, right? We're going to talk about inflation data in a little bit more detail using some charts here in just a minute. Uh, but that's really the big news, right? Not a lot's happened in the house since our last update, what, right before before the new year, other than we're just kind of, you know, chugging along a little bit. And, and that's more or less what I expect to happen in the housing market, probably for the next couple of months, until you see some inventory pickup, or until you see something happen, you know, uh, with interest rates, which at the end of the day is probably not likely. But, you know, when we start talking about inflation data here in just a minute, there's an opportunity for the inflation data to really uh, exceed expectations um, as to what the market's expecting. And if that happens, there's an opportunity for the bond market to rally, which in turn could bring rates down. So we're going to dive into that. I'm hoping that Josh jumps on here in just a minute. But what we're going to do is start with some other charts before we get into the housing data. Um, and then you guys start putting your questions in. And as we go over this data or finish this data, then we'll start uh, discussing and answering those questions for you guys. So let's do this. Uh, well, all right, Josh is coming in. Look Josh, you're working. Guy. Look at this yeah, guy coming in hot, coming in hot, you know, first hot. episode of the year, it's 2023. Um, and you've started off with a crappy mic, so it's all good. It was, but it was a technology already, fail. It was a technology fail, but you got new lights in the background, makes up for all the, the, the craziness there. But we're going to start looking at some of these charts. Uh, Josh, I, I just kind of said the market's been chugging along. Uh, you know, the, the real news comes out tomorrow. Uh, and, and what I mentioned in there is that there's an opportunity for the expect or for the, the actual print on inflation to exceed what the market's expecting in a good way, which could cause a rally in the bonds and in turn help interest rates out. But we're going to dive into those after we check out some of these other charts. And for those of you guys who are listening to this on the podcast and not watching it live, uh, we've also started a community, um, you know, that you can get in either the description of the video. Uh, if you're here on YouTube, it's in the chat there pinned at the top. If you're on the podcast, it's it's you know in the body of that email. And it's essentially a community for first-time home buyers, for buyer sellers, anyone 
in the housing market, interested in the housing market, interested in housing market data, interested in what Josh and I are reading, the charts that we're looking at, all of that stuff. Um, and it's a free community. So go in there, join it. Um, you know, we'll be updating it along the way. We're we're just getting it started, you know, as of yesterday, the day before. So we're just really starting to put some information in there. But if you're looking for a way to see the charts that we're looking at, if you go in there, all of these charts are actually going to be in there as well. So uh, with that said, first chart here is total inventory for the U.S., uh, currently sitting at 471.349. So you can see we're below the peak that we were, you know, just a couple of months ago. Uh, inventory is actually probably more or less leveled off in a lot of markets out there, right? You, you're through the holiday season. You're at a point now where inventory is going to start to move sideways before it moves up. Um, and in most markets, you're going to start to see that inventory continually pick up here over the next couple of weeks. Nothing crazy happening until probably, I would say, late February, early March is when you're going to see the, the majority of inventory come on. And it's going to pick up through mid to late summer because uh, we're getting back to that normal seasonality. But the story here, the chart shows that, you know, yes, inventory is higher uh, than it was, you know, um, back in what, or I'm sorry, is lower than it was just a couple of months ago, but it's quite a bit higher than it was two years ago, but significantly lower than it was going back. You know, the chart shows all the way back to 15. So inventory is, is still the biggest problem for the housing market out there at the moment, just because, you know, there's a lack of it, um, in the big, in the grand scheme of things. Second chart here is percent of properties with recent price reductions. You guys are always talking about price reductions, how they're impacting the market. So this year, we're actually starting off the year with more pr price reductions than we have in quite a few years. Um, nearly what? Almost 40%, 30, was that 36 and a half, 38 and a half? I can't read that from here. Uh, of properties are having some sort of price reduction. Looks like it's ticking down a little bit as as you know the market starts to pick up steam one thing i wanted to go back here on this inventory chart is orange county we started the year finished the year somewhere around 2450 ish homes today we're sitting around 2556 so inventory has picked up a little bit but still well below you know where we were 3 year average prior to the pandemic 2017 to 2019 we'd be starting the year somewhere around 6500 homes so just just some context there, Huntington Beach sitting at 164. If you guys have been following this at all, you know those numbers are quite a bit less than where we were at the end of the year. Um, I found this chart pretty interesting, Josh. This is the number of mortgage-ready customers who can potentially qualify for a mortgage. Across the bottom, it shows interest rates. And along the side there, it shows how many people can actually purchase uh, you know, at that, uh, that, that rate. Right. And then you have, you know, each line represents, uh, you know, a price point, if you will. Um, and you can see as rates go lower, significantly more people can buy homes. Uh, but once you get to seven, 8%, which are rates that I don't think we're necessarily going to see again, the people, you know, buying homes in that $600,000 plus plus price point is in the, you know, low, uh, single digits. Um, whereas, you know, if, if you're, you know, $200,000 mortgage, obviously significantly more people can afford those, but in most markets out there, you don't really have a lot of the homes in that price point these days. It just shows you how much interest rates affect affordability and how many more people can actually purchase homes with lower interest rates, which and we'll talk about here in just a moment with inflation. Jeb, that matches up really well to, to what I'm seeing. I, you know, I told you something yesterday and it closed the loop for myself last night, um, 
I've been very, very busy, but busy doing what? Well, it's talking to a lot of people who either don't qualify, which that's that's less uh, of of uh, of the situation versus people who don't qualify for what they want. People who a year ago at lower interest rates, two years ago, lower interest rates and lower prices would have qualified. But exactly what you're seeing uh, at this chart. So plenty of people still wanting to buy homes. The affordability um, is the big issue. And as we've seen interest rates trend down, interest has picked back up and it's helping people at the margins of, of qualifications. So if you're able to get a little bit of a price reduction, interest rates come down, every little bit helps in terms of getting people into homes with payments they can afford and supporting the market. But definitely seeing less people qualifying now than where we were two years ago because of higher rates and higher home prices. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I, I I was talking to a buddy here earlier today. We were at office meeting. Actually, I wasn't talking to him. He he spoke in the office meeting. He said he's in Westminster, which is here in Orange County. That's where the bulk of his business is. He said there's not one active listing in all of Westminster at the moment. It's crazy. 3,000 homes, 3,000 homeowners in Westminster, not one active home in the entire market. Pretty crazy, right? I mean, and he's got one coming up this weekend, which is is showing you like, I mean, and, and he'll get activity on it because it's the only one. It's a hot market, what have you. I mean, you know, our building is kind of turning into the new uh, real estate, I guess, slash mortgage building um, here locally because there's quite a bit of, uh, you know, real estate offices moving into the building that we're in. And there's an escrow office now and, and so on and so forth. But I, I, as I walked in the office a moment ago, there was a girl walking by and I heard her on the phone with a client saying, yeah, I just got in touch with the agent. They have multiple offers. They're going to be countering the highest and best offers. And so I'm like, eh, well, guess what? I guess the market is still moving along, just like we had discussed. But nevertheless, uh, so we're going to start looking at some inflation data at the moment. Um, and we're going to talk about how some of these things are likely going to show in the print tomorrow. But this is apartment leasing traffic, basically just showing uh, it's going down lowest level since Q4 of 2013. Uh, this one right here is supply chain shock reversed uh, is the title. Uh, Josh, what are your thoughts on so, that? Yeah, it's, it's freight containers and it's a it's a good piece of forward looking data. And that big spike in prices was during the pandemic. There was way too much stuff getting put on container ships into containers and on ships. Um, you remember we showed the pictures of the boats, the ships stacked up here, uh, ready to get into the port of Long Beach. And we've basically seen that normalize now. So that is a sign um, uh, that the big wave of inflation has crested and is normalizing. So it's just one piece of data, but we're going to go through a bunch of them here. Uh, next one, used vehicle prices, or did I say vehicle prices? Used vehicle. vehicle. <laughs> that sounds weird. Vehicle vehicle used car prices uh obviously have come off the highs um josh this chart shows used cars are coming down but what i can tell you is there are certain cars out there that you still cannot find and if you can find them they're still sell selling at a premium but nevertheless uh what are your thoughts on this one well look at look at that index you know it had slowly crept up from 2009 through 2019 to about a 150 however they're judging that's just a, a baseline so 150 and went up to what is that 275 and we're down to about 225 so 225 above 150 is a full 50 percent higher so it's great that we've seen a correction we still have used auto prices higher than they need to be but the trend is going in our direction and remember we don't have to like where prices are to acknowledge that inflation is not present because we're seeing deflation in these prices, even though we're still at elevated uh, car prices that most people aren't comfortable with. There you go. 
Uh, disinflation. Uh, so this is manufacturing, Josh. So yeah, we we got the ISM uh, figures for for manufacturing shows um, prices paid, delivery times, production, number of new orders. So just multiple different numbers in there showing anything under fifty is contraction or disinflation. So it doesn't mean that prices are outright dropping. It just means that all of the activity is again way down. And we're looking, you know, some of these numbers have crested up 70, 80. So those are really, really hot numbers. And now we're looking at numbers that are showing uh, contraction in, in manufacturing. All right. And so earlier I had sent Josh a video. Um, in fact, I believe this video is actually posted in that community that, that we talked about earlier uh that's there on the right hand side but it's steve leesman cnbc talking about the idea uh that you could possibly see a negative print tomorrow with regards to inflation um and this is showing a three-month annualized uh print of 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 the inflation measure josh what did you want to say about this one just looking at the trend there so even if we say uh, a couple things this is services inflation Services have been the big problem because we've seen as the supply chains got solved for most goods, um, we're not seeing goods inflation. It's services inflation as people come out of lockdown, wanted to go on vacations, wanted to go out to eat, all of that stuff. But it is absolutely moderating. So November of 2022, that 3.17% still above what the Fed wants to see. All of their inflation rates they want to see at or below 2%. So 3.17 is 50% above that. But when you compare it to 12.22, it's wonderful. And you can see that trend is going straight down. So again, the high frequency data suggesting a big retreat tomorrow. So Jeb, do we have that that other chart there showing the month over month? Yeah. So this is this is just a headline CPI, um, which, you know, currently sitting at 7% based on the last reading there. Um, consensus tomorrow, as you can see, I kind of put it on the left there, expecting a 6.5 uh, year over year number. 0% month over month, and that would be down from, what, 7.1% of last month. Uh, and then if you look at core CPI, uh, similar story here. Consensus is for it to drop to 5.7% from 6% last month. Uh, that would be, what, 0.3% month over month drop. And uh, yeah, and, and then we, do we have one more? Do we have one more? Well, we have the the, the yeah. bigger chart there of just yeah. showing, and we've showed and this chart several times to you guys. So what what we're looking at here is is this point six, right? So the point six is what's going to fall off if you look at December, the one that's not highlighted, and if it was replaced with the consensus, the consensus is point three, right? So if it's replaced with point three, that shows inflation is going down, right? We've talked about this several times how they how they uh, measure inflation is you take all those little monthly numbers there, you add them up. And that gives you your core inflation number um, based on this particular chart for the entire year. So it would show a retraction in inflation. But what happens is if you look at that chart, it's expecting 0.3. If it comes in at 0.2 or 0.1 or even zero, that's a bigger drop in inflation, which is what could potentially cause you know, um, what we saw last time, which is a, a huge bond market rally after that release, Josh. Yeah, if we're at 6%, it takes a month over month reading of a half percent of inflation to stay at that level. So anything under a half percent is going to be improvement. The market's expecting 0.3. So 0.3, if we got that every month for a year, would have us at 3.6% inflation. Mm -hmm. Would look great to everyone relative to last year. But again, no one's super comfortable with that because we're up 
seven, eight percent over the last year, and then it's three percent on top of that. So everyone is looking for it to moderate to two percent, but it will be very interesting to see the numbers tomorrow. We got a tame number uh, on the October report that was released in November, the November report that was released in December. But what we saw is through the holidays, we talked about this on a couple of the shows. You see really thin trading as most bond traders are taking vacation, so you get weird movements. And so rates improved for a week to ten days after the CPI figure, the last Fed meeting, and then they got worse through the end of the year. We've seen a little bit of that come back, but everyone is waiting for tomorrow's figures. And we were lucky the last two meetings were on Wednesdays. So we got to get the data in the morning, come out, talk to you guys about it on Wednesday night. We're going to have to wait a, a full week, but it will be interesting. That article you sent over the video you sent over Jeb saying, there is data indicating that we might actually see a negative print for tomorrow. That would um, that would be a big shock to the market. Um, what it will do, um, you know, we, we've seen the the 10-year between the 355, 365 over the last week or so. Um, we've got strong resistance at 354 and then at 350. Uh, if we had a number anywhere near zero uh, tomorrow for the month over month, and especially a negative, we're going to see that number drop rather rapidly below three and a half percent. And the questions are really going to start coming at the Fed strongly of why are you still talking about increasing hikes when we're seeing such rapid downturns in inflation in the month over month reads when they're every time they get in front of the podium and talk, they're talking about lagging data and they're saying, oh, it's not quite where we want to see it. Well, it, it's not the high frequency data like we're talking about. And when people talk about high frequency data, it's a lot of things that traders have access to. Industry uh, reports, not, not government level things that are released on a month over month basis. So everything, we've gotten to a, a day and age in the internet where people want information and they trade off of information. So they're digging way deeper and they say, okay, cool. Next month, the government's going to report this. What are all the subcomponents there and how quickly can we get to it? So I would be surprised if we don't have a surprise to the downside tomorrow in terms of the month over month read, just because most of those traders who are betting with real money, it's it's their livelihood. They wouldn't be putting their necks out there. We saw a 10-year auction today, Jeb, that it was graded to C plus, but that's much better than the 10-year auctions were almost every month last year. So that's saying some traders are willing to get ahead and do some buying before or tomorrow's CPI figures, thinking they may be sitting on some gains if that 10-year treasury drops tomorrow based off of the CPI data. Yeah. And I mean, and, and at the end of the day, like none of this means that the Fed is going to pause in, in February, right? So they don't they don't meet in January. Um, so, you know, what we've seen after the last couple of, of inflation prints is that the Fed literally meets the next day or the following week. And so they're able to come out and kind of either calm the markets and or you know, give expectations as to, you know, what they're doing this month. You don't get that right. You've had a lot of Fed members out there talking to the media um, and giving their thoughts. And, and you know, they're still really bullish or, or hawkish, I guess, um, on on the market in general um, and, and saying that they're going to continue to do it. it. You know, rates need to go significantly higher. They need to stay there so on and so forth. So the, the question is, after that CPI number comes out, Again, if it if it disappoints and and you know the the inflation numbers are at uh, the expectation of you know the consensus, if you will, probably not 
a lot happens. Um, if they're higher than the consensus, that's not good for the market, right? I mean, that's that proves that what they're doing is not correct. Um, and if it comes in significantly lower, then that's a good thing. Uh, but do the Fed members automatically pivot immediately? Probably not. I mean, I think there's a really good chance that you're still going to see at least a quarter percent in February just because um, probability and, and what the expectations they've set. Uh, but a, a lot of it will come out in in their conversations with the media, um, you know, over the next you know week or so. And maybe even yeah. this week, depending on, you know, when the uh, what happens with the data. If, if you're just reading the data over the last 90 days, you look at everything the Fed has said and you go, are these people just have their head in the sand? Do they not actually watch the same news that we watch? But there is a reason for that. They were aggressively hiking since last June was when we really got serious with the, the three quarter point hike after the June inflation figures came out. And markets are, are forward looking. So if the Fed before they're ready to level off and, and stop hiking rates, if they say, hey, we've done an awesome job, we totally have this under control, then markets are going to say, cool, we have a dovish Fed, they're going to stop these hikes, we're going to have lower rates, we can uh, have better financing. Markets all around will trade off of that. So they have to keep up that hawkish rhetoric as long as possible, even if in their meetings they were really talking about yeah. we're close to the end, we may cut at the end of the year. So not only do we have more data coming out and the data is getting weaker by the day, indicating that they're going to have to change and pivot, but they're not going to change what they're saying because they want the market to think rates are going higher and going to stay high right. for an extended period of time. You know, Jeb, the one that do we, did we have in there what the projection is, um, that, that chart, did we have that, that last one in there? Which one for which, for which one? Is that the, this right uh, here? So he, yes, yes. here's, here's the, the green line is what the Fed themselves are saying. At the end of the year, we're going to be at five and a quarter. We aren't touching rates uh, in terms of decreasing or, or uh, loosening until 2024. This is the Fed funds futures market, 4.6%. This red line is actually, what does it say? Is if something breaks, right. so they go too far, the economy really hits the skids. They could end up all the way back down here. Now, I mean, that's this is like in case of emergency break glass, like it is highly unlikely, but it is uh, a possibility based off of this. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I think that green line is your worst case. The black line's probably a little bit more likely, or or say somewhere in between there is a little bit more likely. But the red line or something well below the two top lines is possible if we continue to get really bad data. And let me tell you, if 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 you see the red line. It ain't it's not good either way, because that means the economy is in complete shambles overall. Um, so it, it might mean it's just it might be rates might be lower, but it might be difficult, more difficult to buy a house for a lack of uh, employment or, or other reasons out there. So, well, nevertheless, yeah, let's yeah. let's but let's talk about that. This is how we got here. Home prices are higher than they should be, and affordability is lower than it should be because the last two times the economy has gotten into trouble, the 2008 crisis, 2007, 2008, and then COVID, our government said, let's subsidize the ever-living heck out of rates and make them very, very low. So the people who could qualify and could afford pushed those asset prices. If you owned assets, whether it's Facebook stock, Netflix stock, Amazon, any of those, Tesla stock, or you own a house, those shot to the moon based off of the availability of really cheap credit. So we get to the next crisis. If they go back to the same playbook, 
what it does is it continues to push home prices higher. So for those of us here, we really, really don't want that. We would hope for some sort of Goldilocks outcome where rates improve or are better. If we got rates somewhere back into the four to five percent range, I think it would give us an extended period of relatively flat home prices, slightly up, slightly down with higher affordability where people can move if they need to. You can give up a three and a quarter rate for a four and a quarter rate where you're not going to do that for a six and a quarter rate. It would open up the market and open up some homes that are not available to folks right now. No, good stuff. I mean, Eric, you know, one of the viewers here just says, just go to the grocery store. Inflation is still high. So yes, prices aren't going down. That, that's what you have to understand. Like most prices that are there are going to stay there. You're just not going to see continual increases in prices going forward. That's the problem with inflation is that rarely do you ever see the prices from previous times. Now, some things will will adjust, uh, you know, with supply chain issues adjusting and that sort of thing. But things like food and, and you know, just certain uh, items out there, you're not going to see a big drop in prices. You're just going to see less of it increasing um, in the future. So think, think about that comment. Go to the store, grocery store. Inflation is still high. That's not correct. Prices are still high yeah. and prices will remain high because we're not going to get deflation. The Fed's preferred number is to have inflation somewhere around 2%. We've had it slightly lower than that, slightly higher than that for about 12, 15 years right now. So coming off a hot year of 7 or 8%, um, you're, you're going to continue to see 2 to 3 to 4% on top of that. No one's going to like these prices for quite a while. Now, good stuff. So what we're going to do now is we're going to dive into some questions from you guys. Before we do that, though, I'd love to know where you're watching from. Are you in the U.S.? I assume so. Uh, but just put in your city, state, where you are. Love to know where you guys are watching from at the moment. Um, it's always good to, to, to get that feedback and uh, be able to provide you some, some local information if we can. So just throw that into the chat, guys, and and then we'll plot it on our little map like we've done in the past. All right, Josh, Josh, Josh. We got some New Jersey, some New York, North Carolina. Good old North Carolina. You got Rafi in there. In his new home in Temecula. There you go. There you go. Let's see what we got here. So this is this chart here. Let's chart it. Let's see. Can we zoom in? So that's what that looks like. And let's throw it in the stream there, Josh. We got, it's kind of clustered, isn't it? I mean, is that, it is always, that weird? It always seems, seems that way. Like everyone's hanging out. There's, it's like watch parties. There's like is it, is it, does it not seem clustered though? Yeah. There's five I mean, people in five different areas that like to hang out and watch. This yeah. Show. Like, are you guys all in the same room watching this, talking? I mean, it's like there's middle America. We don't serve those people at all, which I feel like is really weird. Like the one person in Raleigh didn't even show up. Oh, no. If you click it, I'll see. See, now if you go really granular, it 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 helps. Then you can start seeing more people. Oh, that's what it is. It's only showing where the multiple people are unless you yeah, the onesie twosies. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, come down here. You've got them. Um, got what one and elisa now we can see where Rafi is yeah so there you, should we zoom in all the way to his house you're going to be swatting him there's going to be people yeah, showing can, up can at his house for can the party we, can we can we drive Free down view. but anyway i think you know i think that chart's always interesting 10 looks like more's on the more's on the east coast you guys are are more home buyers out here we got run in raleigh richmond looks like northern virginia dc area 
what is that? Kingswood? Kingwood, Kingwood. Kingwood, West Virginia. Look at that. Kingwood, West Virginia. Anyhow. All right. Good stuff, guys. All right. As as we'll keep doing it. No. Rafi says Rafi says you're not allowed to dox him here on the, yeah, I see it. on the live. All right, guys. So continue to put your questions in there. We're gonna get to these. We're gonna try to answer as many as we can tonight. Um, let's see. Is <laughs> a lot of these questions are the same, so I'm gonna just kind of hold off for a minute and and see how many more come in before we get it. Uh, is there? Let's just talk about this, Josh. We kind of talked about it a moment ago, briefly, but not really. Uh, MV says, is there going to be a potential recession or a global recession? So, um, yes, uh, yes, I, I think, right? I think at the end of the day, there's there's the likelihood that you see more of a global recession um, than, than you see it just concentrated, say, in the United States, uh, just because of, you know, everywhere, every country at the moment is having to you know, do some sort of quantitative uh, tightening or, or actually quantitative, yeah, quantitative tightening um, across the board. And and we're seeing that because of inflation and, and, and other things. And so the likelihood that you see a recession, I think is high. I mean, I don't think the job numbers are, I wouldn't say accurately reporting what's happening. I just feel like some of this information is somewhat delayed in, in getting to the numbers. And so, uh, to the final numbers. And so I think, you know, when you see companies are, are continuing to lay off companies that haven't laid off in quite some time starting to lay off, that's going to be something that, that has a bigger impact. The question is how much of an impact does it have, right? Are we going to see, you know, unemployment numbers where we saw during the last housing crash at, at 12%? I don't think so. Um, but you know, as you see unemployment go up, typically what happens is, you know, I, th I think there was a number out there, Josh, if, if you saw unemployment at what, five or even 6%, was it 5% that that would almost automatically get inflation back down to the Fed's target of, of, of around 2% at that time, just because of, of, of the unemployment numbers. But what's going to happen here is if you do see that, or when you start to see that, the Fed's going to reverse course. And so that's when quantitative easing happens. That's when whether or not they start buying mortgage-backed securities or any of that is to be determined. But that creates potentially other problems down the road because if they don't get inflation completely under control and then they start to reverse course, it goes out to basically what Michael Burry said, which, I mean, the guy's been wrong more times than he's been right. Uh, but he did call, you know, the, the housing crash of 08 and, you know, the big short movies about him and all that good stuff. But one thing he said I thought was interesting and I agreed with is that there's a chance that the Fed reverses course too early uh, and causes another spike in inflation, which isn't going to happen immediately, but could happen down the road. So Josh, what are your thoughts? Well, the reason why, Jeb, that's unlikely to happen is they're looking back at history. That happened in 1980. Coming in in the late 70s, Jimmy Carter was president. Inflation was really high. The Fed had been tightening to stop that, and they had it moving and had inflation moving in the right direction, and they started cutting. And we had even bigger inflation in 81, 82 that led to a bigger problem. So no one at the Fed right now wants to repeat that. So they're going to talk tough. They probably are going to keep rates higher longer than they need to be. It's important to remember that in terms of mortgage rates, we're here talking about housing and mortgage rates and how that impacts everything. Mortgage rates don't move off the rate of inflation. 
they move off of the direction of inflation. Last year, they were shooting up because inflation was shooting up. Now that we're seeing inflation trending down, it's coming down. As long as inflation continues to trend down, mortgage rates will come down. If, if inflation starts trending back up, if we get two, three bad months, and instead of a 0.3, we get a 0 0.5, 0 0.6, 0.7 month over month read, rates will continue to pop back up. Don't expect that to happen in relation to this question. Um, recession is likely. One of the charts, Jeb, that I pulled out of the slides, I didn't want to bore you guys with too much data for geeks. But in looking at that, uh, it was the, the three month to the 10 the year uh, treasury inversion. And it's as negative as it's ever been. And that when, when that yield, those two yields go negative, it has never failed to predict a recession. We did have two consecutive quarters last year of negative GDP growth. We came out of that in the fourth quarter. So um, there's still debate over, did we have a recession last year? Are we in a recession now? And they only call that in retrospect. So our best case is this, that so-called soft landing is we don't go negative. We go to, to near zero GDP. So any way you cut it, it's going to slow the, the the U.S. economy, the global economy, and the Fed has come out and said we are not comfortable with three a three and a half percent unemployment rate. They want it at four and a half or five percent. They don't want it at twelve percent like you were referencing earlier, Jeb. But they do want it a good bit higher than than where we're at right now. And it's been a little bit of a conundrum because they have not been able to impact that. They've been hiking for six seven months now, and we continue to see the unemployment rate go down. So their movements have not impacted the uh, the employment economy so far. But big picture, absolutely believe that a recession is coming or at least a big slowdown in the economy. It just remains to be seen how deep and how long. Good, 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 good. Um, let's see here. Uh, I'm just going to. I guess we'll just touch on this now. Um, will house prices go down like in 2009? So the easy answer is no. Um, you've seen enough videos, enough people talking about what was different that time versus now. The likelihood, I mean, yes, housing um, takes a while to unfold, right? So there's a really good chance that you continue to see some housing markets out there move sideways, potentially down. But the likelihood that you see some massive crash um, where prices go down like in 2009 it's it's not likely i mean we could do you know a 30 minute dive into this and talk about it non-stop uh but for sake of keeping the show moving on we won't do that um and it's not me being bullish on housing it's just you're not going to see the prices from 2009 or or the market do that again um just because the fundamentals of the market are different at the moment now what something Jeff, change what? in the future sure but that's not where we are right now what two or three things do you think would have to happen to get something even approximating that last downturn? You'd have to have interest rates go nine, 10%. Um, you'd have to have employment go way up. Um, those are really two of the biggest things probably is, is interest rates go really high. Um, you know, unemployment go super high to a point where people are are distressed and having to sell their properties. They're, they're going to need to sell. And you wouldn't, I mean, Ultimately, that would bring house prices down. Um, third thing, I mean, it, it all goes down to what wages, you know, obviously wages would have to, to continue to, I mean, wages would have to get crushed, which ultimately goes, goes along with the, the job per, you know, um, uh, jobs that I mentioned. So I don't know. What's the third thing? No, uh, really the, the two, you, you hit it out of the park with those. You would have to have rates go higher. 
um, significantly higher. So you'd have to have inflation remain high, pushing rates higher, and you would have to have employment, uh, unemployment go much, much higher than where we're at right now. Because the reason why we're insulated from the downturn is people are sitting on a ton of equity. They're sitting on low interest rates and low house payments. So yes, you can look at it costs too much for someone to buy a home. Most people are not buying their home today. They bought it at much lower prices. They financed it with much lower interest rates. So their payments are manageable and short of being forced to sell, they're not going to sell. So you don't have a glut of supply. You don't have home prices is coming down. But Jeb, you're 100% correct. It would take rates much higher than where they are right now, whether that's 8% or 10%, I don't know. But it would also take employment getting much worse to see anything looking like that. And it doesn't mean we can't have a downturn in home prices, but that big 25% uh, dip in prices would have to be caused by high levels of unemployment and much higher interest rates due to inflation. Yeah. And we've showed this, you know, times in, in the past in, in that the idea is that it, well, it, it, the data pr proves to be correct is that as inflation goes down, interest rates go down. So we know it, inflation is going down. Is it is it at the 2% target? No. Is it putting more money in your pocket every month? No, but inflation is going down. So with that, interest rates should follow. Now, is that going to happen immediately? Probably not. We've talked in the past about servicing rights and, and how some of these other things out there are actually affecting the, the, uh, you know, the gap between, say, the 10 year and the 30 year fixed at the moment, you know, that that arbitrage, if you will, and how it's artificially higher uh, because of servicing rights and people, you know, not holding on to their their mortgages for, you know, more than a couple of months, because if they get the opportunity to refinance, they're going to and how most of these companies out there at the moment believe that interest rates are going to be lower. And so they're building in this this spread, if you will. So we know rates aren't likely to go super high. Now, does that mean they can't go higher? No, it doesn't mean that. I just think the likelihood that they go back up to the peak that we saw over God, Chris, dude, that guy, Chris Stapleton, Stapleton, Stapleton every time interrupts us get into every conversation. The, we the, have that the day. best part, Jeb, is I, I'm not going to I'm not going to dox the person and show their name on here. But the person who just called is actually Knows. a watcher, a viewer of the show. They know that we are uh, live they, right now. Maybe and they're they did calling that. Me. They did it just to test you. Yeah, just to test to make you. Sure I, but where yeah. I was going is that the likelihood that you see interest rates peak back above that seven, let's just call it seven-ish percent, isn't the likelihood's not high. Could it happen? Absolutely. I just don't think that's where things are headed. So as interest rates come down, that is going to allow the market to continue move. Now, somebody that I respect and 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 read a lot of his information and feel like he's pretty accurate believes that the market needs to see rates below five and a half percent to to provide some stabilization in the market and anything above that five and a half percent you're you'll continue to see house prices slowly decline i don't necessarily disagree with that i, I think there's a lot of truth to that um in, in that because of affordability and because um the lack of inventory, you're, you're going to kind of see the market stall at the moment. But as rates go down, you're going to see some of the activity pick up. So, Josh, you want to elaborate on any of this or are we moving on? No, we're, we're good to move on. But uh, let's let's throw this one up here because this kind of goes back to the previous yeah. question. Inflation's not going down. Go to the grocery store. Real inflation. Oh, Prince, yeah, yeah. Prince okay. says real inflation is not going down. It's just year over year. Year over year is the real number. Currently, we do not have the high levels of inflation. But prices don't go back down. If inflation drops down to 2%, they don't go, hey, let's ignore the year or the half a year that they were at 7 8%. Those prices stick. 
So was that inflation real? A thousand percent it was real. It doesn't go away. It doesn't stop the pain there. But that doesn't mean that what we're seeing right now is not real. It's 100 percent real. Inflation right now, today, on a month over month and year over year basis is not a problem. We will see what happens through the rest of the year. We've gone through this before on the show, Jeb, the difference between um, core CPI and overall CPI. Core because the Fed, the, the Fed strips out food and energy because they can't really control the prices of food and energy. Those are the two things that are going to be difficult that could get away from them because we in the U.S. don't have a lot of control. The food supply is global. The energy supply is global. Those things could get out of hand and cool. You know, it. It's it's all possible, but you what is happening right now is 100% real. It just doesn't mean that the price hikes go away. You know, I don't know. If, I think you and I talked about this yet, but I don't think we talked about it here live. I went into the Habit Burger last week. I get a salad. That salad used to be $13, and you for $2.95, you get a drink. So $16, I would eat my lunch. Well, last year, it went up, and I walked out, and it was $18. I'm like, well, that sucks. That's two extra bucks. Well, I went in, and again, it was $21, just shy of $21. That's real. That's painful. <laughs> That's unpleasant. Uh, my thing that cost you know sixteen dollars two years ago is now twenty one dollars. That's that's pain. But the fact that it stays at twenty one dollars, they're not going to cut it because their prices are unlikely to go down. What I wanted yeah. to say in this, you know, Jeb, you've heard this before. The cure for high prices is high prices. The cure for mm -hmm. high rates is high rates. The the demand it destroys the demand. High rates cause uh, make things that need to be financed cost too much. High prices makes things cost too much. So inflation is self correcting over the long haul because you destroy the demand. But um, you can't say that what we're seeing right now is not real. It just doesn't solve what we went through the last six to twelve months. Now, and on top of that, one thing we didn't even touch on when we were talking about inflation data is rents and and how rents are calculated in those numbers and how. At the moment, those rent numbers are reading, I'll say artificially high, um, just based on expectations of, of rents, you know, and how they're calculated that new rents um, won't be going up at those levels and, and what have you. So as those numbers adjust over the next couple of months, um, that could also allow that core inflation number to come down even more. Um, but again, not something that we talked about, but Alex has a question here. Josh says, would it be fair to say that if inflation comes back down, uh, the Fed would not care if the unemployment rate stays low or even goes lower? So my, my knee jerk, Jeb, when I saw that question was, no, I don't think anything would change their mind. But you're like, that's because they've beat into us that they believe that such ultra low levels of unemployment like we have right now will lead to wage inflation. When there's more open jobs than people to fill them, employers have to pay more and more. We saw this during the pandemic when fast food jobs went from $12 an hour to $18 an hour. If there weren't enough people willing to do those jobs, you have to pay more. That's wage inflation. Those people that now have 50% more income are willing to buy more stuff, pay more for stuff. So if we saw inflation go down and unemployment stayed at the current low levels, at a certain point, if it's 6, 12, 24 months down the line, you'd think they would have to rethink the theory that low unemployment has to lead to wage inflation if they had a long enough timeline of data saying that it doesn't. Good, good. Uh, let's see. Uh, Riano Keeves. What's up, boys? Long time no see. Also, is it just me or can anyone else on the street do a better job than Powell and company? Yeah, it's a lot to it's look tough, at, it's right? It's a tough job. It's a tough job. Nobody wants that job. Um, no one wants that job. And, and, you know, with it comes a lot of expectations and, 
Um, yeah, a lot of headaches. So I, I can tell you, I, I, yeah. I was going to say, Jeff, that's not us saying it's a tough job. It's not us saying they did a great job. No, it, no, 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 not at the all. Thing, I mean, the thing that you point to is this time last year, they were still buying mortgages and treasuries a, a year ago. I mean, that was insanity that anyone outside of the Fed knew. So they're in an a academic ivory tower. They rely back on theory. Going back to the last question, would they give up on this belief that would they have to raise unemployment to, to correct inflation? I don't know. They look at textbooks. They, they deal in theory and it's hard to get them to look at the real world going on around them. Now, good. Yeah. Again, I'll just go back to, I don't want that, that information. I mean, they, <laughs> they have the best data in the world. Um, and they're smart. Yeah. Very smart. But here's the problem is you got a lot of opinions, right? There's a lot of it. I can't say that word anymore. Can I say Indians and not enough oh. chiefs? You can't yeah. say that, right? No, I think you can because you can? Indians and chiefs, you're, you're, you're just... There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen um, with a lot of opinions on on where the market should be going, what it should be doing, and all of those influence the the Mr. Powell there. And so it's, again, a job I wouldn't want. So, But anyway, um, Tom tuned in tonight just to see where my beard was at. Um, I want to know if it was a full day, a day two, or a homeless beard, or day three Viking beard. So it doesn't quite progress that that fast, but it's, you know. The beard's there. It's somewhat trimmed, um, keeping it somewhat maintained. I looked back from some pictures last year, and I was like, holy cow, dude. That thing was out of control. So yeah. that was like three months. I don't think I could I, do that again. I am sad that it's January and October is 10 months away because, well, actually, you have 10 months to grow that beard because I now expect, with the blue eyes, a full Viking 12-inch beard costume Oof. for next Halloween. I'm going to tell your wife that that you are wow. going as as a Viking. You know, Halloween. I just, I don't know that I can do it, but, you know, don't count me out. Um, we got, what, Esgunturi? Gunturi? I don't know. G-Wagons, steep discount. Luxury watches, steep discount. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of that stuff. I mean, God, I mean, I've been... I follow this one guy on TikTok. I think everybody follows him at this point. I don't even know his 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 handle, uh, but I just watch him sell watches and negotiate watches. And he's uh, he's a big Rolex guy. I'm not a big Rolex guy. He's a big Rolex guy. Uh, but it's just amazing for them to talk prices on some of this stuff and where the prices were versus where they are now. Uh, but yeah, those those are those are getting affected and coming down quite a bit. Uh, John in Indiana says year over year for December, they're still up 18%. So those are crazy numbers, man. Um, Indiana, you know, I don't, I don't know where Val Paracio, Valparaiso. Valparaiso is in the state related to, you know, relative to other major cities. But what I will say is that, uh, you know, job growth there is good. Cost of living there is, is overall good. Home prices are still relatively affordable on a national scale. That drives people to to want to go to those markets, and and because of that, those markets will continue to probably do better than some of the markets that shot up like crazy that are now overpriced. And and I say overpriced, overpriced relative to um to 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 that market. And you know, those are markets also where investors can can buy property, and it you know makes sense still. So. This is Jeb. This is all anecdotal information. Yeah. Um, but I hosted uh, vetted VA live last night, had a, a guest on a loan officer in Wisconsin, another one on in New Jersey. The gentleman in Wisconsin lends kind of throughout the Midwest or a little bit north of Indiana there. And he was saying, um, 
haven't really seen prices come down, but buyers have a lot more power. We're, we're getting, we're getting lender credits and seller concessions uh, on, on almost all of our deals. And then the gentleman in New Jersey, he said, it really depends on where you are and I will get it wrong, whether it was South Jersey or closer to the city. We, one of these areas, he said, the market never really got hot around here. The buyers always had power. And in the other part, it's still a seller's market and, and buyers are still going in and having to overpay. So it really goes back to what we say. We have a lot of information on here. A lot of people are seeing numbers and figures in their area or they know what their neighbor did or what their uncle two cities over. But it really, it is all real estate's local and we have very different markets based off of affordability and local economies. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, let's see, Marion has a question. Just out of curiosity, would any of you two consider buying a rental property this year? Absolutely. A rental property is less emotional it's it more or less about the number about the numbers. So do the numbers make sense on that property? That's ultimately what an investment property comes down to. Does it make sense for what you're trying to accomplish with your portfolio, with that particular property, what have you? And if it makes sense, great. If it doesn't, that's okay too. Just look for the right opportunity. There are still opportunities out there in this market. Um, and, and, you know, states like California, it's, it's, can be difficult to 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 have the cash flow and and make some of these properties make sense. That's why people are you know go out of state with their money. But investment property is is again in my opinion less. You should be less worried about picking a top or picking a bottom and just primarily looking at the numbers and, and figuring out do they work. That Jeff, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is the numbers never lie? Pencil them out accurately um, in terms of what you can rent it for, what it's going to cost you to acquire it, how much cash you're putting up, and what your cash flow looks like. And I've got a couple of examples here. Um, one of them, one of my buddies, he does estate sales. He calls me yesterday, house in Anaheim, says, "Hey, if you want, we can get this for about seven hundred. And I'm like, "Okay, um, seven hundred is a good price for any any single family in Anaheim right now, but it yep. can be a really good price or it can be an okay price." So I look it up. It's Loera School District. Very good schools right near Disneyland. Very good neighborhood. I look at it. House looks nice from the outside. I look it up and uh, safely $900,000 value and best case would be almost a million. Some homes in the neighborhood have sold for a million. If you did it really nice, you might get that much depending on how the spring plays out. But I said, what I really would like to do is acquire some rentals and you're sitting there with a bunch of equity on that. And I run the numbers and at current rates for that home, even getting it at $200,000 below market, there's no world that that makes sense unless you're comfortable with making a massive down payment, um, in which case your rent yield is small relative to how much money you put down on it or if you're comfortable feeding it and actually writing a check to own that home over the next 12, 24, 36 months, which I am not. So you look at that and then we look relative to other areas. There's still areas around the country that if you put 20% down, I have a client, um, I believe Jeb, he actually is a show watcher here, that he bought uh, a rental property in Wisconsin last year, doesn't even own his home, he rents, but he bought that house his mortgage payment with 20% down on that, his mortgage payment is $1,100. He rents it for $1,850. Like, why, why wouldn't you acquire that? Unless you thought rents were going to drop, I think most people would be happy to acquire rental properties with a five $600 a month positive cash flow. How do I buy flow. one of those? Yeah, yeah. I, wanna, I, I will ask him because he's a cool guy. He'll, he'll explain to me how he came across that. Was it a smoking deal? Like the thing that I would say... I would not buy anything retail right now. I wouldn't be looking in the MLS and going out and competing against 
home buyers. I would want off market stuff. I would want, you know, distressed properties. There's not a lot of them. So we're not talking about foreclosures. We're really talking about off market stuff. You, you know, driving through a neighborhood and you see a house that's trashed, you know, it, it's a numbers game. You have to reach out and do a, a lot of research, but there are deals out there. Uh, so if I were buying, I, I wouldn't be playing the retail game out of the multiple listing service. There you go. Uh, we're going to move on. Mr. Jared Lee says, should you put more or less down on a house during this? And I assume during this is the slowdown in the market um, or whatever you want to refer to now as. Uh, some people are calling this the crash. Josh just turned on his lights. I just he turned the damn lights on. This guy. Um, but, you know, putting a down payment down on a house is really... I wouldn't say there's a set amount you should ever put down. Um, you know, ideally, most people shoot for at least 20% because it helps you avoid mortgage insurance, right? But if you've been on the show or, or you probably haven't been on the show, but if you've been listening to the show uh, for any extended period of time, we've talked about how if you have, you know, multiple uh, borrowers on a loan, you have high credit scores, mortgage insurance is relatively inexpensive um, or can be relatively inexpensive uh, compared to the amount of money that you would save uh, by not putting 20% down. So it, it, it becomes a personal preference. You know, Josh always says the numbers never lie. And this is one of those, you know, uh, you know, things that you should run by a mortgage professional when going through the pre-approval is like, hey, wh what does 10% look like? What does 20% look like? What does 5% or whatever the numbers that you want to run look like? And, and go with what you're comfortable. I mean, if, if you're only comfortable putting 20% down because you know, you just don't want to be extended every month or that's the number that, you know, you've got allotted in your budget for housing expenses, then by all means go with that number. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm a believer that you can put a little bit less money down, keep some money in the bank for a rainy day or for whatever it is you want to use and, and still buy property, um, and, and not have to worry about, you know, um, you know, the market in general, you know, we always talk about longer term time horizons and that sort of thing. But, you know, if you've got money in the bank, you're comfortable with the payment, all of, all of those things are important, but ultimately it becomes a preference for, for you at that time. Jeff, we've talked about this on the show before. Um, Jared Lee, if you're interested, um, go, go over to Amazon, look at a book, um, Misfortune. And I think Misfortune 101 is this little version of it and versus the six or 700 page. Um, it's, it's a little out of date now, but it's a financial planner named Doug Andrew. And his philosophy is you only want to do one of two things. You either want to pay cash for a house or you want to finance it to the maximum leverage that you can. And the philosophy there is if you're worried that the housing market's going to go down or something might change in your future and you could lose the home, you don't want to lock up your money inside that property. You would rather have it free where you can invest it in other things, grow it. Um, but obviously you have the constraint of what you qualify for. So kind of circling back to a really good point that Jeb made, I've got two very good examples. We have a loan that should close tomorrow. Uh, I believe it was $8.99 purchased. People put 10% down. So we're seven, uh, seven something uh, loan or no, 810 uh, loan amount on that. And their mortgage insurance with 10% down and very good credit and two borrowers was $90 a month. So would I rather pay $90 in MI or put another $90,000 down on the home? I would much rather put 10% down and those folks can afford it and they didn't have the 10%. 
Another one talked to today, a million five seventy purchase price and looking at putting 10% down. The mortgage insurance on that, again, very high credit scores, two borrowers, it's $157 a month. Would I rather pay $157 or put $157,000 more down? Run the numbers, take a look at it. Don't be afraid of mortgage insurance and other things being equal, stay liquid. I would much rather someone have reserves to fall back on if something goes hard versus equity locked up in their home that they may not be able to get out in, in time of need. Good, 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 good. Um, let's see here. I saw a comment a minute ago and I was confused by it. John says, hey, the other old guy is back. So he, when he says other, you're, you're like the only, you're the only old guy here. So what is he saying? Old guy here. And I'm, I'm confused by who the other old guy is. Cause I only see one of you here. Um, but nevertheless, John, watch it, bro. John, um, if fellas as young as us seem old to you, you've got to be like 14 max. Oh yeah. Max, he's like, he's like 10. Old. It's probably yeah. my son. Uh, <laughs> that's his alias. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go back up here. There's some good questions. Or oh, here's one. Uh, Pixel Perfect says a friend closed a few days ago at nine percent below the list price using a 30-year fixed. Was able to get three point five point three seven five percent on a jumbo loan. Saw it myself on his loan estimate. Is it possible to get such a low rate these days? This was in South Orange County. So Josh, jumbo loans, a uh, little bit different guidelines, a little bit different rates. Is five point three seven five realistic? Well, here, the, the gentleman with $157 uh, monthly MI, we ran the numbers. They have a big seller concession negotiated. So he was looking at doing a temporary buy down, a three, two, one buy down. And we switched over and looked at using three points to buy the rate down. And he was going to be at five and a quarter. So 5.375 is incredibly aggressive. I'm not calling anyone a liar. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Generally, when you see things like that on jumbo loans, what you're looking at is some type of private banking relationship um, where banks want to keep their large depositors happy. So they will offer them really aggressive terms on the loans. They're not making much, if any money, especially if they're selling it, they can't sell that loan at a profit. So they're really looking at keeping keeping that loan in portfolio, most likely to, to keep a customer, a good customer, very happy because that would be really hard to find. We have some of the best wholesale lending relationships out there and I don't have anyone close to that. All right, there you go. Uh, Michael asks, how long are pre-approvals good for, Josh? So they're good for as long as the underlying data is still accurate. So the actual documents will expire. Your pay stubs have to be within 30 days. Your bank statements within 160. Your credit report within 120 days. So if those expire, we'll have to get updated documentation. Um, but the bigger picture, if you want to know, is my pre-approval still valid? Do I still have my job? Am I still making as much money? Did I buy anything that I now have bigger payments? Did I miss a payment where my credit scores go low? Did I go to Vegas and blow my down payment? Um, or did my wife, girlfriend, fiance, boyfriend, husband, um, significant other do any of those things? So as long as nothing changes in the underlying information, you know, we have clients that will look for four or five, six months before they find a property. And in general, it's okay. It's been six months. We need to pull another credit report. I need your most recent pay stub. Get me your last W-2 and two bank statements and, and we're fresh, but we're always going to have that conversation. If you think it may be a longer timeline, it doesn't mean don't do the pre-approval now. It just means be prepared to refresh it and be prepared to talk to your lender and let them know if anything changes. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you need a, a, a relationship, uh, an expert, 
anywhere across the U.S. There's a link scroll on the bottom now. A lot of you guys have used that before, got connected, reached out, and thanked us for that. So use that if you want to get connected with Josh, want to get connected with me, that will get you there as well. Uh, Brianna has a question. Um, it says, do you guys expect home builders in California uh, to do any rent to own? And no, I, I don't believe that'll happen. Um, builders aren't in the the business of holding on to property and, and renting it back. Uh, I think what happens in these scenarios where builders have property, um, California is not really your your market for it uh, for the most part, just because, you know, that I, I've mentioned this stat before, but Dallas, Texas built more homes last year than the entire state of California. Uh, just because of, of regulatory fees and, and what it takes to build a house in California, how much it costs to break ground, all of that stuff. But nevertheless, what you would see in a market that had a surplus of, of homes that they couldn't sell for any reason, they would sell it to an investor, um, you know, one of the hedge funds, the Black Rocks, the those types of things. That's where you see more of that stuff happens. And, and they might do some sort of rental deal, but we're not seeing a lot of rent to own at the moment. Um, I'm not seeing it. it, you know, typically, you know, you, you see more of these lease option to buy type things coming from sellers in a down market. Uh, but we're not there yet. And builders aren't in the business of, of doing that type of, um, sell, uh, and or financing to start with. So I don't think it's going to come from a builder. Uh, Ali, Ali, Ali. Uh, what is your thoughts about living in a rental property this year? Then try to buy a house around Q1 of 2024 with stable price and rate. So Josh, we've talked about the idea of waiting in this market. Is there anything wrong with waiting? Is there a rush to buy at the moment? No, not, not really. Um, you know, we, if you watch the podcast and went through our forecast for next they year, can't watch the podcast, Josh, cause you haven't uploaded the videos yet. But I did produce it, so it's ready to roll. So by next week, you'll be able to watch the podcast. But for now, you can listen to it because Jeb did a wonderful job on the audio production and got it up while I was uh, not holding up my end of the bargain. But uh, in talking about our forecast for the next year, we think the most likely outcome is a small dip in prices to a very small increase in prices. So long story short, price is not much different this time next year than where they are right now. So cost of waiting, Probably not a whole heck of a lot there. And we also think that interest rates will be lower throughout the course of the year. Now, once we get to the second half of the year, we'll have to start projecting forward. Maybe they bottom out towards the third quarter and are increasing uh, by Q1 of next year. But in general, rates should be better than where they are right now. Prices shouldn't be significantly worse. The only thing you're missing out on is any principal reduction of making 10, 11, 12 payments this year. So if you having another year of watching the market, of getting insight into what's happening, getting a comfort level, saving some additional money, getting a comfort level with your job situation, living situation. Maybe you have a raise coming. You're going to finish a master's degree this year. Income's going to go up. There are some va very valid reasons to wait. And there's not really any you know pressing need to buy. Jeb, you remember during, during the, the COVID mania of home prices going up, we're like, if you want to buy, you need to do it now. We don't know how long rates are going to be this low and prices are going up a percent or more a month. So it's only going to get more expensive. That that pressure is gone. Absolutely. And, 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 and here's the one thing I'll say, this isn't to get you to buy a house. It's just something I read and I saw it and it's something that stuck with me. You're always paying a mortgage, right? It's either someone else's or your own. 
So the longer you wait, the less opportunity you have to 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 be paying down that principal, to be getting potential, you know, equity built if you if if you know the long-term plan is to hold on to that property. Now, does that mean prices can't go down? No, it doesn't mean any of that. I'm just saying, should you you shouldn't sit there and in my opinion, weigh over whether or not today or next week or six months from now is the right time to buy a house because of everything going on, you know, in the headlines. It's either it makes sense financially for you. It's the right time in your life. You can do it. You're comfortable with it. Longer term time horizon or, or it's not. And if it's not, that's okay too. Renting is okay. It's buying you patience to be able to get to that opportunity. But what I've seen many times in my career is a lot of people sitting on the sidelines guessing, you know, whether is it today is to, is, is right now the best time or should I wait six months? Oh God, six months. Oh, not, it, it, I think it's going to get worse. And then eventually what happens is the market moves. They're gone. They never bought a house. I can tell you time and time again, several people that are sitting in that position. A lot of them are friends, quite frankly. Um, so just don't fall into that boat. Make a plan, stick to it and do what's right for you. Hey, Jeb, we we talk about when should you buy? You should buy when everything's right in your life, your your economics for you and your household, your job situation, your family situation, and you're confident that you're ready to make that move. If you're asking this question, I'm not saying this is a fact, but you, maybe you're just not there yet. So make sure that you have got to that point where you think all of your ducks are in a row and you are happy and willing and able to be somewhere for the next five to seven years. And at that point, buy whenever feels right for you. Yeah, and I and I just you know popped up a couple of uh, of questions that people had on this topic, and it, and it's you know we didn't direct the question directly to you, but that helps answer that question. Whether you're in Tampa or you know wherever market you're in, it's it's not about um, it's not about the headlines. Again, it's about the right time in your life. Anyhow, let's let's move along. Um, Interesting question here. Matthew says, what happens to landlords of a property that is deemed a permanent crime scene? Thinking of a tragedy in Idaho or places where houses will likely be demolished by city order. So, um, you know, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, there was a there was a property in I think it was Denver or Colorado where there was a, a, another um, massacre type scene that happened. Um, it was a, a father you know, family, yeah, the, whole the other, thing. the other Netflix show. Yeah, actually that was it. Yeah. And, and I believe that property actually sold, um, after the fact, I believe it was for sale. So, you know, what happens is I think as a landlord, you probably have to disclose that, um, for ever, uh, you know, I mean, by law, you probably don't have to, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if it's deemed a permanent crime scene, maybe the insurance takes care of it. Um, I'm not sure, Josh, any, any, any insight uh, on that? It, it's funny that Matthew's asking this question because I, I was watching something on, on the news the other night uh, about this and they're going through it. And I keep looking at the house. And I'm like, there's no world in which anyone will ever want to live in that house or any other college students in Moscow, Idaho will want to rent that. Mm -hmm. So the owner of that house, good luck selling it. Um, it's probably going to have to be demolished. And most people, it's not like a lot would be stigmatized. Um, Someone would say, yeah, it's very unfortunate that that happened here, but the house is gone. The bad juju is gone. There will be people to be like, I don't want to be on that street. I don't want to be on that side of town, or I don't want my kids going to the University of Idaho because that happened there. Um, I went to Eastern Washington University. We're about an hour away from Moscow. It's a cool little city, and it is mind-boggling that that happened. 
Um, and I think in smaller areas like that, if something like that happens in Los Angeles County where there's millions of people, easier for it to kind of slip through the cracks and people are more jaded by high levels of crime. If you're in a rural area, a part of the country like Moscow, Idaho, no one is ever going to forget that. The neighbors will tell you forever, you bought the house that that happened. So there's no way that it wouldn't come out. My guess is it will be demolished. Someone will buy the lot and put another house on it. But in terms of economically, there's no protection for you. You don't have insurance for that. Your homeowner's insurance doesn't say, hey, sorry, a bunch of people got murdered on your house. We'll reimburse you to build a new home. Um, you're going to take a loss on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's out of my wheelhouse there. So um, thanks for bringing us down, Matthew. Yeah, show's just gloom now. No, but in all reality, that's super sad situation. Um, one thing I forgot earlier in the show, and I apologize for this, is Maddie came in as the show started with a $5 super chat, and I just now remembered it, but I wanted to make sure I thanked him for that. So thank you for doing that, Matt. That's awesome. We appreciate it. Um Let's see. There's another question that I that I got here that was uh, good. Oh, Dina. Dina says, do buyers typically offer over asking on houses during winter market or spring market, or is it not predictable? I'm going to give you a scenario. So I was office meeting today. This is something that came up. So they were going over a city uh, here locally in Orange County, and they showed that typically the the list to sales price ratio uh, for that particular area over the last year, was it like 93 or 94%, right? This is Westminster, by the way. I mentioned Westminster earlier. So it was it like 93%. So it was quite a bit lower than the list price. Now, why, you know, people overprice homes, several reasons, but here's what's interesting. In the month of December, there was one property that sold, only one property sold in December, but the list to price ratio was at 103% which is significantly different than the average over the last 12 months. And so one of the agents that works that market just happened to be in there and says, listen, that, that property was in my farm and they priced it significantly under value, which is why it sold way over the asking price and why that number skewed. And the reason I bring this up is to answer your question in the idea of it's less about what the market is doing, what people are doing on properties, and more specific to the property in general. How did the agent price that property compared to other homes around it? If they priced it accordingly, then over the last year, you know, the first half of 2022, that property probably sold over the asking price. Second half of 2022, if it was priced correctly, probably sold at the asking price, maybe even a little bit lower. What are you likely to see in the spring? It really depends on how people price properties. I mean, in our market here in Huntington Beach, there are still homes selling above the asking price when they're priced correctly, maybe even slightly lower than where they should be. Those homes are still selling where they should be, whereas there are overpriced homes selling less. So don't get so focused in, in hey, my, my buddy bought a house for 10% under the asking price. Okay, great. How is that property priced according to homes that have sold recently, um, not compared to where homes sold last year, and and, and focus on that. Um, and but typically speaking, the spring is a hotter time of the year, right? A lot of people don't buy homes in the winter months for many reasons. Uh, seasonality, you know, in areas of the country where there's snow on the ground, and you know, just it's difficult uh, for for many reasons to for transactions to take place. You know, those markets heat up in the spring along with markets like California, and that's when home sales happen. And the same thing will be said this year. Homes that are priced right will sell at maybe even slightly above. 
Um, homes that are overpriced are going to sell below. So hopefully that is is helpful for you. Uh, Rick asked the question of how would I go about renting my primary residence and buying a second as my primary home and repeating? Would I rent my primary out as a rental before I look for a second property? So Josh, when someone comes to you, they want to get pre-approved to buy another home. I, I'm a buyer. I want to buy a house. My family's growing. We're looking to upgrade. I've got a home now that I want to keep. Do I need to rent that property prior to having the conversation? Um, what's that look like in the pre-approval process? Not at all prior to having the conversation, prior to closing on the purchase. Just had a client here that they were in the Bay Area, I think San Jose, and ended up getting a job transfer. So they bought a house in Santa Cruz. They had a great rate and they had bought, made a great buy on their house. So they wanted to keep it as a rental. Uh, what we had to do is um, once they found their home, they listed it for the current residence for lease. And by the time we closed, they provided us the lease agreement. So on the way in, we want to use a conservative number that we know that it will lease for, but we're going to use that. So in this instance, I think it was, it was a nice house. San Jose is expensive. It was like a $4,000 rental agreement. So we're able to give you credit for 75% of that. The 25% allows for vacancy and maintenance and expenses there. So you take $3,000 and then you use that to offset your or housing payment. So if your mortgage is $3,000 in that situation, it just washes it out to zero. If your mortgage is $2,100, now you have a $900 positive that we can add to your income for qualifying or conversely, if you have a $3,500 mortgage, we're gonna have a $500 negative that is essentially treated just like a car payment or a credit card, any, any other debt that you have. So you're not having to qualify for both mortgages, you're qualifying for the net payment net of the rents that you're receiving after the vacancy and maintenance and expense factor. There you go. Good stuff. Uh, that point in the show when I'd like to ask a favor, if you're watching us on YouTube, if you could hit that thumbs up. Um, if you're not subscribed to the channel, that helps uh, more people see it. Uh, helps that algorithm that everybody talks about. Helps get in front of more people. I appreciate when you guys do that. Uh, the goal with this channel is to educate, guide you guys through the process. Um, and we're doing it here on YouTube as well as on the podcast. For those of you listening to the podcast, we also appreciate that. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the podcast, we do have a podcast that's available, Apple, Google, Spotify, all of those places. It's a deep dive into topics, our real estate topics. You know, here we answer a lot of different questions over the course of two hours. There, 20 to 40 minutes episode, kind of diving into something specific. We've done everything in the last four or five weeks to predicting what's happening in the housing market to also guiding you guys through the process of the pre-approval process, writing an offer on a house, offer getting accepted. Now what happens really, I mean, just a, an A to Z on everything real estate. So if you're not listening to it and you're interested in buying a house, it makes a lot of sense to listen to it because it'll answer a lot of the questions that you guys have. So check that out and rate it, review it, all of that good stuff. All of that stuff helps. Um, us ultimately accomplish our goal of helping educate more people. That's why we're here is to educate. Um, we believe that, you know, having more educated buyers out there is is a positive thing for, for the market and it's positive things for, for, for those of you buying. So Jim, appreciate I it. have, yep. I have two questions while Let's I was it. having mic problems. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you discuss the community? Do we want to tease it? Do we want to talk no, no, about No, no, I, I did briefly. I, I mentioned the community. So if you look in the side of uh, the chat there, if you're on YouTube, if you're listening on the podcast, it's in the description. 
It's actually in the description on YouTube as well uh, of a free community. It's a, it's a home buyer community. It could be a seller community. And what it is, is we often have people reaching out to saying, what are you guys reading? Who are you reading? What are you watching? Why are you watching that? What are your thoughts on this? And so what we decided to do was create a community where all of this information is there. It's free. You log in. Josh and I had just started. I mean, we literally created this thing yesterday, day before. And we're so just starting to post information in there. But it's going to be the articles that we're reading. It's going to be articles that um, we agree with, articles that we don't necessarily agree with. But it's just information that you guys should be paying attention to. Um, and along with that, Josh is, is going to provide some rate updates and it's really just a place for, uh, outside of here to, to get information and, um, and, you know, and, uh, kind of follow along with, 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 with what, what is happening in housing. And some of this data is stuff that we pay for and we're providing for you guys, you know, free of charge and, uh, other stuff is things that you can find on the internet in multiple places, but we're putting it all in one spot. So check that out. And it- and it has a forum in there. So yeah. um, I'm no, not, it's a place I'm to not, ask questions I'm and chat. Ask, and... Que- ask questions, chat, um, start dating in case you wanted to, you know, <laughs> combine incomes. We're not, we're not, we haven't outlawed that yet. We'll see how it goes. If it gets out of hand, we'll have to stop it. But Jeb, my second question was, you mentioned they can get the podcast on Apple, Spotify, any and all that. Are we on SoundCloud? I want to be on there with my favorite trap music. So can we get on SoundCloud too? Uh Probably. Yes, okay, we I'm, probably I'm need a SoundCloud check, account. Check into it. I'm going to check, and then into we it. have to do it. So, yeah, I have no idea. Possibly, we can anything. We can be everywhere, Josh. That's the problem. Everywhere. Is we are everywhere. We got feelers out and all this stuff happening. But nevertheless, uh, it's hard to be all these places at one time unless you're on the web. And that's what we're doing. So, anyhow, I digress. All right, uh, let's see, Trey. Trey says, how do you get deals in a hot market that is one of the fastest growing markets? What are some of the metrics and calculations to get rentals? How do you get deals in a hot market that is one of the fastest growing markets? Are you a buyer? Are you an agent? Um, I mean, multiple ways, right? I mean, you could door knock, you can cold call. Neither of those I do, but I know agents that are successful doing both. I know, um, you know, investors that, that, do wholesale that do this sort of thing. Um, you can send out mailers. I mean, there's multiple ways to, to get to it. Uh, metrics and calculations to get rentals. I'm not sure I even understand um, that question. Um, but, you know, you if you're looking for a rental, you got to figure out what it's going to rent for. You got to figure out what your monthly expenses are going to be. You got to figure out how much your monthly payment is going to be on that property um, so that you can figure out your cap rate on it. And you got to figure out if that makes sense to you or not. I mean, that's that's how I understand the question. So that's how I would approach it. Jeb, why, why yeah. don't you clarify for them? So you mentioned wholesalers. And yep. like, what in the world is a wholesaler? There are people out there who don't want to tie up their own money, who don't want to buy and flip houses, but they are in the market. They do this all day, every day. They put homes under contract and then they sell them to other investors. One came across my desk today as a house in LA with a duplex in LA. They wanted $510,000 for it. It's probably worth six fifty, dollars and they probably have it under contract for $485,000, dollars So if you buy it from them for five ten, dollars they put $20,000, $25,000 in their pocket and move on to flip or, or wholesale the next property, and you get a below market price. So a lot of investors find that uh, a worthwhile way to do it. Now, obviously, if you can eliminate that middleman and get in front of the deals yourself, then you can go and, and get an even lower price 
price, but time, effort, energy, that's what that person is getting paid for. Um, there are also companies that basically do marketing for cash offer leads. So you can buy those. They're about $100 a piece. So people wanting cash offers for their homes, you're going to go through maybe five to 10% of them would actually sell at a number that makes sense for an investor. So you're gonna spend a couple thousand dollars to get in front of one of those. So it comes down to where are you at? What do you know? What are you willing to do and or pay uh, to get in front of those deals? You're, you're gonna pay either in, in manual labor, like Jeb was talking about, you know, knocking doors or making phone calls, or you're gonna pay someone else for doing that manual labor to get in front of off-market deals. There you go. Uh, T Tom 19, any way to look for a property in California that has had someone pass away in it? Um, there's not really a way to search that. Uh, but oftentimes if it's happened recently, you know, us as agents, we see it in the MLS because the agents have to disclose, uh, if someone's passed away in the last couple of years, uh, within the last three years, they have to disclose that. So, you know, but what I'll say is more often than not, it's a peaceful passing. It's not something where you're going to be able to get some crazy deal on a property. Um, it, but there's not really a way to search it, unfortunately. Um, Jeb, what's yeah. uh, what is the what is the requirement? So three years. Here, as you, so three years. So as yep. an example, um, you know that um, unfortunately we lost my dad in 2020. We were able to have him come home because it was in the middle of COVID. He was going to be in the hospital by himself. We were able to have him come home. So in May of 2020, he passed away in my home. So after May, I would no longer have to disclose that to anyone? Correct. Does And that doesn't change if someone is killed in my house or suicide Correct. or any of those Correct. other bad things. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Correct. Uh, I mean, could you? Sure. But you don't have to. Um, and, and a lot of that is, is truly cultural. Some, some cultures really, really frown yes. on that and don't yep. like it. And feng shui others... is not... Uh... You know, yeah. is it, they're not into it, but yeah. I don't think like anyone's into it, but well, some people are, are less bothered by it. Less bothered by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it violates, you know, feng shui, if you will. Violates probably not the right word. I'm not sure what the right word there is, but nevertheless. But Matty said he's in the community. So Matt, hey, buddy, we can chat. Nice. All right. you, is Matt going to be the first poster? It's like AOL instant, instant chat. Aim? Like ICQ, like when I was in high school. We can... Send like little flowers it, to one it's another. It's more like MySpace for mortgage and real estate is the way I, I would prefer <laughs> to put it. Uh, it's like Discord. If you've ever been on Discord, it's similar to Discord, but it's a lot easier to use in my opinion. All right. Where are we, Josh? Where are we? Um, I mean, I just, I thought this was a good comment. So I just put it in here. Been waiting all week for today. My parents have two homes paid off with today's rates. What would be the best way to go if my parents want? Oh, I read it wrong. What would be the best way to go if my parents want to get cash to gift to me to buy a home myself? So if they own two homes that are paid off, Josh, how would what's the best way for them to access that cash? So um, since they're paid off, if they had a first mortgage, it would lean towards thinking in terms of possibly a second mortgage. So just use some random numbers. If the house is worth $400,000 and they owe $100,000 at 2% and they want to give you $100,000, it wouldn't make sense to refinance that whole thing. You would look at some type of second mortgage because the blended rate would likely be lower than what you can get today. Since they're free and clear, a first mortgage is going to have a lower interest rate than a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, or a home equity loan 
which is just a fixed rate um, second. And it wouldn't be a second, it would be a first mortgage. So really home equity line of credit or a new first mortgage cash out. Um, but in this situation, it would probably make more sense to just do a cash out refinance to get the money to give to you. All right, there you go. Uh, good, good. Let's see. Rick is asking a question here. A very profound question. It's if a good you're suggesting one. I like it. that prices aren't going to fall, what, if anything, can our government do to make housing more affordable for first-time home buyers? Something has to give, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the problem is that the... I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, transparent. I don't know the, the answer. I mean, the easy answer is to build more property, right? Um, and so you look at that and you go, okay, California is full of people. Where do you build more property? You build it inland. You build it in quote unquote less desirable areas. Uh, but people have to want to move out there and will ha want to have to buy there and so on and so forth. But that's the easy answer is to build more property. That's difficult for, for many reasons. Um, so I don't have the answer to that question. Um, something I think about often and, and I don't know that there's an easy solution. Josh? So to two pieces here. So the first part is kind of what you're addressing. How, how can we resolve it? It's simply supply and demand. So can our, what can our government do to make housing more affordable? Here's the, the, the brilliant idea is let's go back to say 1995, which is about the last time our government was not aggressively and actively involved in housing. And there are people who will tell you I'm wrong that it's back to about like 1975 before the government was meddling in housing. Let the market take care of itself. We had, you know, people talk about lenders were terrible. Brokers were terrible. Wall Street was terrible for pushing these bad loans. Well, that got started in the late 90s when the government decided that there are lots of good things that come out of high home ownership rates. So we should promote home ownership. Well, that's correlation versus causation. And by pushing people to become homeowners who are not equipped to become homeowners or lowering the threshold or the barrier to become a homeowner and letting people across that threshold who haven't met the requirements, they set the, set the stage for the big downturn. And then what did they do? They lowered rates and pushed things up. We had COVID, they put their hand on the scale, lowered rates, pushed things higher. So what I would say, what the government can do is stay out of the way for the next 50 years and we might see something normalized. The second part of your question is totally um, logical and correct. Something has to give, right? So when people are making crash videos, um, when they're saying this market is gonna drop 40%, they're looking at it and they're saying, Every time historically we've got affordability in high-priced markets like Southern California down to these low levels, we've seen a major correction in home prices. And then they look back to the last correction and say, it has to look like that. And they don't remember what were all the things that made that much worse than anything before. But there are multiple ways that a market can correct. One of those is you can have flat prices for an extended period of time. We've talked about affordability here and what that does. Rates can come down. Prices can come down. Incomes can go up. And time can be added to that where incomes go up incrementally over time and correct that. So I would think because we had three years here of way above trend home price increases, we can expect a period of below trend home price uh, so if you correct aggressively and abruptly, then that period is a short period of time. 
if you correct by being flat, it might take seven, eight, 10 years to see that. But what we're looking at right now is the supply and demand imbalance. Jeb talks about building more homes. You know, in the most densely populated areas where the most high paying jobs are, there's no more room to build more homes. So you can't have more supply. Sellers don't want to sell because they have really low rates. That's not adding to supply. And demand is low because we don't have the high levels of affordability from the chart that Jeb showed earlier in the show. So uh, again, long answer to a, a short question. The government should stay out of it. And really 30, 40, 50 years, the market might correct itself to where it needs to be. There you go. Um, let's see. Scarecrow is asking about buying or selling land in Missouri. I could not help you, um, at all with that question, but if you do, uh, need an agent in there that can, there's a link below. Um, unfortunately I don't know anything. I don't know a, a lot about selling land to start with cause we don't do it here in California. I've only sold one plot of land in my entire career. Um, and it's unbuildable because of a floodplain. Um, but at one point they, it, how much, how much did you sell it for Jeff? How much did you sell the unbuildable lot? For? I think it was 825,000. Was that right? 825, some, some absurd number, um, at yeah. the time, but I'll tell you during the pandemic that probably would have sold over a million bucks. Um, but nevertheless, don't have a lot of experience selling just, you know, land by itself. And I definitely don't know much about Missouri. Um, so unfortunately there, I can't be of much assistance there. Jeb, the only thing that I would add there is you can't just say the average price in Missouri. Let's say it's a piece of farmland 200 miles from the nearest town and there hasn't been a sale in 15 years. You're not going to get the average price. If you go to the prime piece of real estate in the downtown financial district of the most expensive city in uh, St. Louis state, St. Louis, it's going to be way more than $7,000 an acre. So you can't just ask based off of state values. You got to say, um, where is it located? How close is it? Is it a populated area? Is it farmland? What can it be used for? What's the demand for it? What other lots are available? A lot of it goes into it versus just what state is the lot in. There you go. Good stuff. Uh, Dragon My Baggage says, how about teaching this stuff in schools, prepare kids for it and not let them be blindsided by all this stuff? I think that's a great idea. And what we're trying to do with that is the podcast. Basically, that is that is a resource for basically anybody looking to buy a house. I mean, it it is a deep dive into home buying in every facet um, from mortgage to real estate. It's I mean, I'm in the business and I think it's it's good information that everybody should know. Well, Jeb, let me let me make a comment here. We occasionally get people on here. Oh, you guys are cheerleaders for the real estate market. You do mortgages. You sell real estate. You, I don't cheerlead anything. In the worst market that we've ever had, there were still millions of transactions being done. People are going to buy and sell homes. People are going to get mortgages, even in the worst market. We are here to give you the knowledge, information, and education so you could make the best decisions for you. So we want to be the school, the uh, home, the educated home buyer university, Jeb. That's what it's called, my friend. That is what it's called. Sineskamen. 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 No idea, guys. And those listening on the podcast are probably like, what is he talking about? I'm reading names over here. Uh, Hello, guys. I don't know if anyone asked, but would you encourage someone to buy a house at the current time? 20 years old, would like to buy my first house this year and maybe rent some rooms. So, we talked about, you know, this question kind of earlier. I mean, you know, it's not it's not the best time to buy a house, right? Prices are high. Uh, they've they've run away from the long-term trend in appreciation. Rates are higher. It's a tough time to be 
a home buyer. Now, does that mean it's a bad time to buy? Not if it's the right time in your life. As a 20-year-old, you have a really long-term time horizon. But it comes down to what we've talked about many times on this show and something I've mentioned several times tonight is does it make sense for you right now? Can you afford the payment? Do you have money in the bank? Do you have a longer-term time horizon? Are you going to be in that property for an extended period of time? Those are all things that's super important. At 20 years old, there's no rush to go out and buy anything. Um, you have a lot of time to make these decisions. Um, and it's, you know, it's probably not the right time in your life just because you are uh, on the younger side. But it doesn't mean it can't be the right side. I mean, the right time just based on, you know, buying with friends or wanting to rent rooms or whatever. So, it, again, it goes back to where are you in your life at this point? Um, and and does it make financial sense for you today? And 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 don't so much worry about what has happened in the market. Worry about where you are at this point. I, I co-signed everything Jeb said, and he said, where, where are you at in life? I want to say, where are you at in the country? We talked earlier about the gentleman here in California who bought a rental property in Wisconsin and $1,600, $1,700 a rent, $1,800 a rent, and a $1,095 payment. If you're 20 years old and you get to a three-bedroom home with a $1,095 payment and you can rent two bedrooms out for $400 each and you're living for $295, it's a great time to buy a house. So look at the numbers, run the numbers. What are you capable of? If you're here in the middle of Southern California, I, I get this often. Um, folks calling and saying, um, hey, I'm 25, just graduated from college. I can't afford, um, but I've got three friends. They all want to rent a room from me. So I just need a four-bedroom house. Um, they'll all pay about $800. So my salary is $80,000, and then I got another $2,400 a month. We can't use that income to qualify you. You don't have a history of it. If your friends had been renting for from you for the last three years, you've been declaring it on your tax returns, then we can use it to qualify. So house hacking is a great idea. It's a great idea if you can get into the house, if your parents co-sign with you, and then you offset the payments by renting rooms to your friends. My nephew uh, is in his early 20s. He bought up in the state of Washington last year, and he's got three buddies that live with him, and it subsidizes his cost so he can afford to own a home that he wouldn't otherwise be able to live in. But it's not quite as simple as, as people make it seem online. So just don't think that you can go in and use the projected rents from bedroom in the home to qualify for your standard FHA Fannie Freddie loan. All right. Uh, Scarecrow is back with another question saying, is it hard starting out in real estate with how competitive it can be? Sure. I mean, yes. It, the easy answer is it, is it difficult? It depends. I mean, um, it's a competitive industry. There's a lot of people, uh, a lot of competition. I mean, hell, everyone knows a real estate agent. Everyone knows a mortgage professional or a mortgage person. They don't necessarily be professionals uh, here locally. So that can be difficult. Um, and so, but, you know, like anything else, the cream rises to the top. So you could be, you know, somebody that does very well, very quickly. Uh, but what I will say is that it's probably going to be more competitive uh, this year than it has been in a very long time, because there's going to be less transactions taking place, less sales out there. Um, and with that, you know, Competition is going to be high. People are going after the same deals. There's going to be a lot of deals that happen off market. Um, in my opinion, there's going to be more of that happening in in this world. And um, you're going to have a lot of agents that, you know, that aren't in the business in a year, um, maybe even a couple of months just because of that. So just make sure you plan. Uh, Maria's got a good question here. It says, in an event of a divorce, can you remove a spouse without refinancing to keep the low interest rate? So Josh, me and my spouse are uh, on the mortgage together. Um, 
Is it possible to remove them without having to refinance? For the most part, no. Um, and the reason being is these loans are securitized and sold off on Wall Street. There could be, you know, if you if you saw, why am I drawing a blank, Jeb? What's the movie about the old, mortgage, the big short? And they go through how these mortgages are packaged up, sliced and diced and sold. There could be thousands of owners of your mortgage. So you can't really go to them and say, hey, can we modify this and replace me? Where I would be interested to see, and maybe I'll do a little research on this uh, in the next week and see if we can answer this. Some of these loans are assumable because really what would a lender want to know? What they would want to know is that the remaining spouse can afford that payment. They qualified both spouses. So they want to make sure that the remaining spouse can handle it on their own. So if you could qualify and you could go and assume the loan, remove the other one from liability, it would be possible on the types of loans that are assumable um, if I'm thinking it through correctly. But let me check and confirm on that and see if that's something that can be done. But your Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans, jumbo loans that are securitized and sold in the secondary markets, non-QM loans, very unlikely that you would ever be able to do that. And it's it's a problem, you know, uh, and what we see is a lot of people end up having to give up their awesome rates because the divorce decree says, hey, you get the house, but you have 12 months to get your spouse uh, relieved from the debt. No, there you go. I mean, I've come across that many times um, in my in my career of, of divorce situations and and somebody wanting to keep the property and they end up having to refinance and um, and or sell the property because they can't qualify for the mortgage by themselves. So uh, let's see. Um, Fresco, Fresco Bar, Fresco Bar 170 says, do you get, do you guys think in our lifetimes, and I'm serious when I say in our lifetimes, we'll see a true buyer's market? Do you think that can be a real possibility? If so, how? Uh, I, don't, I mean, what is a true buyer's market? Um, one where they're just giving property away? I mean, that's like, you know... I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think so unless you see some crazy thing happen with inventory. Now, can you see a buyer's market? Sure. I think you're likely to see one here really soon. Um, I mean, I think you're in one now, even though by definition you're not. Um, so, Jeb, what, what what are those definitions? What How would you typically define a buyer's market? More than six months of inventory um, and or home sitting on the market for more than 120 days. Um, is typically what is referred to as a buyer's market. Now, what I will say is that average days on the market here in Orange County at the moment, I think is 84 days. Uh, Huntington Beach, it's it's quite a bit less, uh, but Orange County as a whole is 84 days and months of inventory. I think we're sitting at two something, two point, I don't know, a couple of months of inventory, right? Significantly lower than the six months. In Huntington, I think we're at 2.12 months of inventory. So, but what I will say is, it's more of a buyer's market than it's been in a very long time. And the idea that what, what defines a buyer's market, what defines a seller's market? It's when one party has the negotiating power, when one party has the upper hand, if you will. So does a buyer have an upper hand in this market? To some extent they do. Um, but a lot of it has to do with where the property is located, you know, and, and how it's priced and all of these things to start with. But I would say the buyers have more of an advantage now is because, Homes are sitting on the market a little bit longer. There's less competition out there. There's sellers are more willing to negotiate. As you guys saw, you know, on the one of the first slides that I showed, 40% of the homes nationwide at the moment have had some sort of price reduction starting the year. That's significantly different than where we were a year ago, two years ago, what have you. So the idea is that, yeah, it's more of a buyer's market. What's a true buyer's market? I mean, what I think I'm hearing 
when I when I say that out loud, based on what I'm reading, is that you're looking for an opportunity where it, there's just some big deal on a property. Will it happen in our lifetime? Sure, I think there's a possibility that it does, um, but that means more than than what we saw, you know, this last time. Um, it means more of a of a 2008 ish event, right, where you have some sort of financial collapse uh, nationwide, worldwide. Um, but you know, you need black swan event, you need multiple things to happen in order to create that. And I just don't, I don't know if, and when, and how that all happens. It's that's way out of my realm. I, I don't worry about what's going to happen 10 years from now. I try to worry about what's going to happen, you know, a year, six months tomorrow, that sort of thing. What, what you would need is a supply demand imbalance, more uh, supply than there, than there is demand, a large one. And that's what we saw in 2008. So what is that? That's forced sellers. Right now, there are people who would be interested in selling and buying a different home, but they just aren't willing to do that. So kind of we talked about earlier, how can home prices correct over the long haul? You can have a period of below trend growth. So the answer to your question, a lifetime is a long time. I'm 49, I'm going to be 50 this year. Shocking. John, John Pham called me the other old guy. The other <laughs> old guy, Jeff. You are the old guy, bro. You're the old guy. I'm the other old guy. So um, long way of saying, what, I got 40, 50 more years? I would think that there's going to be some things we can't even <laughs> fathom in this the next guy, 40 years. This, this guy, guy just predicted his lifespan to go to years old, bro. 99 right there. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I, I mean, On I do. The dot. I don't oh, want to be I, I like 99 and I'm checking out. But you just but, you just said that like it was like in the back. <laughs> like, I'm, I like I'm it. breathing. Good. I'm breathing it into being. You just, I, you I just like it. Manifestation. Will it manifest right. it? So, yeah. but lo long way of saying we can't even project what will happen over but that. But I think in the near term future, we're unlikely to see that type of forced selling that makes a strong buyer's market. As Jeb said earlier, even though we don't have the metrics by definition, um, that call I was on last night, one of the guys is in Marietta, California. He uh, represented a, a veteran on a VA purchase here. They got a $20,000 seller concession. Like a year ago, if you had told someone, hey, you're going to get a $20,000 seller concession on a recently built new nice home in Southern California, they would have called you crazy. Um, and we're already here. So again, we have no projection into the future. I think we're likely to see a protracted period of flattish prices, which doesn't really get to this big buyer's market where the, the supply demand equation tips in the favor of buyers. All right. Good, good. Um, and and Fre Fresco Bar basically just came back out and said that it's more or less what we explained it to be. So um, not necessarily a crash, but one with months of inventory and negotiating power. So I think you're getting close. I mean, you're not crashing now. You got more negotiating power. You're getting a little bit more inventory. I think give it six, eight months. Um, and it we could be in more of a buyer's market. Uh, just it, a lot of it has to do with rates, right? We're going to know a lot more about rates over the next two to three months. Did he, by the way, follow up with another comment and co-sign that I will make it to 99 years old? He did not. I thought he did. No, I did not delete anything. All yet. right. All right yet um let's see this is a good question miggy says what's the best way to finance an adu so first off let's talk about adu adu is a granny flat it's an accessory dwelling unit it's an auxiliary dwelling unit it's that little property that little shed that little uh she shed at the back of your house uh that could be used as a rental. It could be used for mother-in-laws. It could be used for the husband who gets kicked out of the house and has to sleep on the couch. Uh, but essentially, it's a little 
another little property on the property, if you will. They're becoming very, very popular, especially here in California, where now you can add an ADU with basically, you don't have to get anybody's approval, right? It has to meet city codes and what have you, but nobody can deny you an ADU as long as it's built to code. But Josh, what's a way to finance that if I don't have the cash? Is there a way? So it, it's it's like financing anything else. Uh, you want to add on to your house, what can you do? You can refinance and take cash out. So the question behind the question here is, I have an awesome rate. I do not want to refinance to get the cash out. So it's a second mortgage of some type. You know, a year ago, this time last year, everyone's like, I'm getting a HELOC. I'm keeping my great rate. And that 3.875 refi is terrible. I'm not doing it. And now they're looking at a 7.5% rate on their HELOC. So that's why we talk about how much are you borrowing relative to the first. If you need $125,000 to build your ADU and you owe $500,000 on your first at 3%, then take a second mortgage, regardless of how high the rates are currently. Um, hopefully at some point in the future, you'd be able to combine the two of those into one lower rate loan. And you're always just looking at the blended rate. So what are your options? Cash out refinance, what's my rate on that? A second mortgage, what's the rate on that? How is that calculated out to my blended rate for all of the finances, my first mortgage and my second mortgage? Do I have the cash? Am I comfortable paying cash for it and giving up the opportunity cost of how I can invest that cash? Those are really the, the only three ways of doing it. No, good stuff. Um, can you get a personal loan for, uh, for ADU, Josh? Probably not uh, for enough and then, and then as refinance. much as it costs to build one now. And then, well, here's a question, side question. Can I get a loan some way, uh, build this ADU, and then refinance and have that somehow built into the the loan of my property? Um, now, because my in theory, my value is going to increase because now I have this additional property on there. Is that realistic or is that completely crazy thinking? Jeb, um, I'm going to plead semi-ignorance on this. I believe there were some changes to a few of the guidelines that paying off uh, the construction costs of an ADU can be considered not cash out, um, but I would have to go and dig back into it. The, it's an area of innovation. The, the government is interested in finding ways to finance additional housing units in, in denser areas like Southern California. So they're trying to be as flexible as possible. There are some flexibilities there, but if I were to try and tell you guys right now, um, I wouldn't get you an accurate answer. Good, good. Uh, Samuel has a couple of different questions here. The first one uh, is relatively easy to answer. It says, does Josh have an Instagram? <laughs> he does, but it, yes. would be, it would be like following uh, the wall. There's You'd see pictures of me from my 20s from when I last posted. Yeah, there's nothing on there. Uh, so I'm not sure you would want it, but Josh can put it in the uh, in the 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 chat there if you want to i think it's like borrow smart josh borrow smart josh is that what it is on yep. instagram yep he, do, he does nothing with it um second it sounds like a challenge jeb oh god i'd love to see you come through with this one uh samuel <laughs> says what are some good strategies on making offers in this market and then goes on to ask the question is what is the difference of getting a seller's concession versus getting a price cut so there's a couple different things going on what are some ways, some strategies to make offers in this market? I mean, no different than what you've been doing over the last couple of months. I mean, the biggest difference in this market versus the market last year is you're not having to give in necessarily to the seller's demands, right? Which means that you're you're probably able to um, keep your 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 longer time frames with with regards to your contingencies. 
You might not have to come in with the full 3% deposit here in the state of California. Um, you might not be in a multiple offer situation. You're not necessarily having to go above and beyond the asking price, but it's, it's, we're getting back to a more typical market, which means I don't know that there's a necessarily a strategy um, unless you're trying to accomplish something specifically uh, with buying that property, right? If you're looking to maybe get the best deal on a property, uh, but you don't care where you are, then you're you're looking for properties that potentially, um, you know, been on the market longer, that maybe in inferior locations, that maybe there's something not necessarily, you know, raw, right with it. Um, you know, maybe there's ways to potentially improve it, but for whatever reason, nobody wants that property. I mean, those are strategies on how maybe you get properties at a lower price, but what you don't want to do is go in and find the best house in the best neighborhood that's been completely remodeled. Um, those homes in most markets are still fetching a, a premium relative to other homes around it. So I don't know that I have a strategy for you uh, other than look at comparables and try to figure out what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but the second question is a little easier to answer. And that's, you know, the difference in the seller's concession versus getting a price cut. Well, a price cut is, is, you know, the price is say it's 300,000. A price cut is now the home is 275 or, or whatever the number is. A, a concession is the price is 300 and now the price is still 300, but the seller is giving you a credit of 25,000. We'll use the same example, um, to, towards your closing cost or towards to buy down the rate or towards something else. So the price doesn't change. You're just getting money to credit towards you. That would be a concession. Um, I guess a price concession could happen. Um, but most of the time when we're talking about these, we're not talking about that. So hopefully that helps. Jeb, did, did you yeah. tell Samuel to ignore the pretty girls and find himself a straggler? Is that is that what you said was how what, you can what get? happened? <laughs> uh, I did. I did. Yes. By, okay. by the ugly house. By okay. the ugly one. Yes. So what, what I would say, Samuel, it, there's an important discussion there between the difference between a concession and a price cut. And that is, let's say you're looking at a $400,000 house. Your closing costs are going to be somewhere around Twelve to fifteen thousand, including your prepaids to set up your uh, impounds. So, if you don't have that money and you only have, say, three percent for a down payment, then we don't worry about a price cut. You have to ask for that seller credit for you to even get into the home. Let's say you have that money. Now we have to make a decision: Would I rather give up the money and and pay my own costs and have a lower price? Or would I rather pay the higher price and, in essence, finance my closing costs? Well, that's really what, what we're looking at here. And it's the same thing with the buy down. Do I want the, the seller to give me 2% to do a 2-1 buy down? Or do I want a 2% lower purchase price? So you're throwing there, Francisco is asking the question, is the buy down only for two years of the term of the loan? There's a temporary buy down and there's a permanent buy down. So a temporary buy down is a 3-2-1 buy down, a 2-1 buy down, a 1-0 buy down. And that tells you how long the rate is going to be lower and, and by how much. So those are the questions that we have to ask. There's pros and cons, benefits to each. Do you have the money to do it yourself? If you do, do you value a lower price more than the extra money that you would have in your pocket if the seller pays it for you? And at current interest rates, this is a rough rule of thumb, but every $1,000 on the sale price saves you about $6. So if you ask for a $15,000 concession to cover your closing costs, it's going to save you. Uh, if, if instead you took a $15,000 price reduction, your payments will be about $90 lower, but you're going to have to come up with that $15,000. We say, I can get $15,000 for 90 bucks a month. 
for most people, just from a, a monthly cash flow basis, it makes more sense to pay more for the home. If you're worried about the home price and you just want to get that as low as possible, get the thing paid off as soon as you can, then take the lower price. All right. We've got a lot of good questions here. We're kind of wrapping up on the show. I want to nail through some of these real quick, Josh, that, you know, hopefully we can kind of the speed give round, a speed round, if you will. So uh, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but uh, Rick says, does USDA have higher income limits for high cost areas? They do not. I don't believe, but do no. they? they do no, not. All right. There we go. Uh, advantages and disadvantages of a single single story versus two story house. So single story homes. Uh, typically, I mean, some of the advantages of a, t uh, of a single story home is that, um, there's no stairs, right? It's one level. Uh, you've, you've got all types of, of generations that could move into that property. Boomers, you know, the, 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 the generation that looks to downsize are often us, looking us for year olds. Yeah. Are often looking for single level homes. So that's an advantage. Uh, single level homes feel more spacious, quite frankly, than, than a two-story home of the same square foot. Um, it's hard oftentimes to find a large single story, um, single level home in a lot of areas, right? Huntington has a lot of single level homes because a lot of them were built in the sixties, but most of them, the square footage is awful, right? 12, 1300 square foot. So it can be tough, you know, having a bigger family looking at single level homes. Uh, so that's, I guess, a disadvantage. I love single level homes. I would much prefer a single level home over a two story if I had the option. Um, but it's kind of a preference thing. Some people prefer two story just because of the way they're set up. Uh, but single level, you need a little bit, if you're building the same size home as a, as a two story home, you need a much bigger lot in theory to do it. Um, otherwise you're taking the entire yard up, right? So that's why a lot of builders out there build two story homes, even three story homes in this market is because they can build the same square footage on a much smaller lot, giving them you know, a higher price point that in, in which they're able to sell. Um, so it's kind of a, you know, what you're into, but in, in lieu of, of keeping this short, like I said, hopefully that helps. <laughs> yeah. Where, where's the yeah. speed round start? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Josh, um, own a half a million dollar home free and clear on social security disability income. So my DTI isn't working in order to get a loan. Any suggestions? Um, Boy, not really, um, because if it's owner occupied, if it was a rental property, you can do a DSCR loan. You can do a bank statement. You can do the bank statement on an owner occupied property, but bank statements aren't going to help you. It's not like you have a business and you're just not documenting your income. The problem for this situation is post 2008, the government requires a lender to prove your ability to repay. You don't have anything alter any alternative way of proving your ability to repay. So unfortunately, I don't have any good suggestions there. What about a bridge loan? You have equity in a property. Could you? It would have to be a business sort of purpose loan because, again, it is your primary residence. The government requires even a hard money lender has to show your ability to repay. They went hard after hard money lenders saying, hey, this person has no way of repaying you. You loaned them $100,000 at 15% interest. You just wanted to steal their property or make them another loan next year, $100,000 more at 15% interest and charge them five points. So there's, there's none of that. If it is someone's primary dwelling, you have to show that they have an ability to repay that loan. The way around it is a business purpose loan. If you had a business and you're willing to write them a letter saying, hey, um, I'm running a nail salon out of the garage and I need $100,000 cash to get it rolling, you might find a hard money lender that would be willing to do that. But you're talking higher interest rates and something that's not really going to help you. All right. Uh, Angel says, my wife and I financed our home March 2022 using a VA loan. 
Thanks for your service, by the way. Uh, when can we finance another home? For reference, we make $14,000 a month after taxes. One house could eventually be a rental. So how soon after buying a property using a VA can you buy another, Josh? Um, you can't. So you can, well, that, let, me, let me explain. You, know, you can have multiple VA loans, but it's, if you used, it's called secondary entitlement. So depending on what percentage of your entitlement was used up with that property, you couldn't buy another one VA unless you have enough entitlement left. But in terms of how long do you have to wait, there is no requirement of how long you have to wait. You can buy another home, um, but VA with zero down, you have to have enough entitlement remaining to guarantee the next loan. If it's short of that entitlement, then you can make a down payment with a VA loan and use a partial uh, VA guarantee and partial down payment. So if you're in Southern California, let me know. We can walk through it. We can run the numbers. We can pull your certificate of eligibility and see how much of your entitlement was used. If you're outside of California, use the referral link. Jeb can get you connected to a VA expert that can walk you through that. But if you're not talking about a VA loan, just a conventional loan, you're going to make a down payment. There's no waiting period. Even if you're walking away and converting the VA to a rental and buying another owner-occupied property, you can absolutely do that. It's just going to require a down payment where the VA loan didn't. All right. Good stuff. Um, I think that's it, Josh. So what I'm going to do here is I'm actually going to post something on the screen uh, that I mentioned earlier for any of you guys interested. I don't know where it is. So bear with me. Uh, here it is. So uh, free community. It is uh, in the description of this video, guys. It's It's a community right? It's a lot like this. A lot of you guys show up every week. This is an opportunity to chat, look at the articles that we're looking, post commentary, um, a lot of stuff. So if you're interested, check it out. Again, it's free. We're not getting anything at the moment um, from it other than helping educate you guys. Uh, on top of that, uh, if you haven't done so already, hit that thumbs up there. It helps again with the YouTube algorithm. Uh, there's a link scroll in the bottom that'll get you in touch with a mortgage professional or real estate professional anywhere in the US. And finally, if you're not already listening to the podcast, do yourself a favor and check it out if you're interested in buying a home. Josh, any final words? No, happy new year. Thanks for showing up. Um, it's January in Southern California. It's been rainy. It's been cold. It's been in like the low sixties. So I know many of you from around the country feel our pain. Um, so thanks for staying in and spending a couple of hours with us. It's been a long time since we had the full two hour we, show. We got, we got lazy through the holidays. So thanks yes, for joining us. We've had more rain in two weeks than we've had in like two <laughs> the last years. four years. Yeah. Uh, but with that, guys, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate the opportunity to even serve and, and have this platform to uh, to help educate. But uh, without you guys, we wouldn't be here. So thank you for that. Uh, we'll see you again next Wednesday. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, Please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.